Welcome to the Expert Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thanks for listening. For most people, the holidays are joyful. For many, they are not. This sadness has been dubbed the holiday blues, and it's a very real emotional event for its sufferers. Dr. Joan McGill, a clinical psychologist here in Florida, has graciously returned to us to revisit this rather common phenomena. Dr. McGill, thank you for being here. It's a pleasure to be here. I think too often people dismiss the holiday blues as something which will just go away by itself when the holidays are over. But that's sad because in that passing, people are missing what could be a very nice piece of life. What is considered more of a trigger to the holiday blues? There are several, maybe multiple triggers. Two that I think of right off the top of my head are expectations people have around holiday time. And because of the cultural expectations, there's also people who have suffered losses, either long ago unresolved losses or recent losses that need to be mourned. So that absolutely impacts people. So it looks then as if the holiday blues is different than what we consider a biological depression. Are they two different entities in many ways? In many ways, yes. A person who is clinically depressed could have added problems at the holidays. Let's talk a little bit more about this notion of expectations. Elaborate. Can you give us some examples of what a person may find themselves being set up for if they have expectations that are going to get them into trouble? We all have expectations in life, and we each of us grows up in a family where traditions are observed, etc., and so we normally develop expectations around the holidays. Problem comes when we believe we need to fulfill our own and others' expectations. I know one time I was working with a woman who was completely worn out, and it was maybe two weeks before the end-of-the-year holidays, and when I asked her what she'd been doing, she'd been frantically buying gifts. She'd been baking, cooking. She believed she needed to put on a couple of parties herself. She was totally worn out and not meeting her own expectations. Now, in psychology, we can call that faulty logic or dysfunctional cognitions. Bottom line is, if we expect perfection or we set our standards at a level that no one might be able to reasonably meet, then we're failing. And when we believe we're failing, we get discouraged, we get down, and then we're stuck. This is interesting because I think most people think about the holiday blues as related to the second thing that you talked about, the revisiting of of a loss, the sense that this is the first Thanksgiving without the parent or something like that. The expectations is what a person, the burden, shall we say, that they put on themselves that they can't meet. A very interesting difference. It is. For each of us, it's important to be able to look at our own patterns, to observe oneself. It's a skill that develops. Some people go year after year. As the example I gave, this woman for years had been wearing herself out and still wanting to have the these wonderful holidays, but getting so disappointed in herself. But once she could look at her pattern and begin to look at how she could succeed in ways, manage her life, make choices, she began to feel better. What would be the appropriate intervention? It sounds like she needs to get some insight into her psychological makeup because she puts her own self at risk. Yes. So much of life is about our perceptions, and perceptions can change. We have to be a willing participant in making that happen. And for a number of people, it's helpful to have the coaching of a good mental health professional initially to learn how to change old habits of thinking, of perceiving. 
And then it raises the interesting question, an important one, that if someone is beginning to feel these symptoms of the holiday blues, and I'd like to look at some of the more specific symptoms in a minute, do they or do they not go for antidepressant medications? That may be a bit premature to use a pill for this. Yes, emphatically so. Medication, as we both know, marvelous for people who struggle with serious depression. But the holiday blues, if they are limited to a certain season and then get better, in general, it's about being able to look at oneself to make better choices and then to see how one is afterward. Now, if a person has had a lot of stressors over a particular year, that can alter brain chemistry. And then it's not a matter of willpower medication can help regulate the brain chemicals, but it's not a quick fix. It's not magic. It's helpful to people who may have an underlying low-grade depression on a regular basis where the holidays just exacerbate that. It's a reality. The CDC recently has stated that in their research, 41% of people in this culture report significant additional stress around the holidays. Does it get to the point of suicide? Do we see an increase in it, or maybe there are not hard statistics to help us answer that question. Any sense on your part? Well, there are certain populations or groups, if you will, who are more susceptible. Examples would be someone with a diagnosed mental illness, specific types, of course, people with substance abuse disorders, people who are isolated, possibly as an example, an elder whose family is nowhere around and doesn't have human contact, those would all be specific populations who would, yes, be at much higher risk. What about the flip side, the people who suffered a loss during the year and they go into the holidays and it's the picture of setting, for example, the festive table and they don't need an extra seat because the mother has passed away? The process of mourning, and when one has lost a significant relationship, we say that the average mourning period is about two years. Hopefully, it's a progressive getting better, acclimating to the new situation for that person. But sadness is not depression, and it's absolutely important to be sad and to recall memories, hopefully good memories, of the person who has died. But it is hard, those first holidays. A lot of people don't think that the mourning process can produce what looks like holiday blues, but it's actually the mourning process. Yes. When I'm working with patients who have experienced a recent loss, and that can be a year or more, we talk a lot about how to get through specific holidays and what can be helpful. Even determining how to incorporate either traditional celebrations on a specific holiday or change them with a conscious wish to incorporate and move forward with some of the old and some new to be creative around the holiday. But I absolutely encourage people to not avoid the sadness. They need to feel the sadness and to add the gratitude for that person having been in his or her life and to cry, to talk with other family members or friends. We assume that the holiday blues is something that happens between Thanksgiving and Christmas time. But the way you're talking about it, it could happen on a birthday. It could happen July 4th. It could happen Passover. It could happen any other time of the year because they're reflecting something that's an expectation or a loss, and they're just going through a grieving process. I, I think we've been too narrow in assuming that it is just a certain calendar section of each year. It's not. Right. This isn't just about this time of year. 
possibly the reason we tend in this culture to focus at this time of year on the holiday blues, it's because you have the added challenge, if you will, that it's the dark time of year. There's less sunlight. All religious groups, in in my understanding, have had rituals to help people get through the dark time of the year. So the pain and the isolation is very real. It reflects there's something, I'm going to use the word wrong, maybe I should use the word unsettled in Mm -hmm. a person's life. What are some symptoms that you would look for that would say, okay, it's time to go see a, a counselor, a clergyman, whomever, to get some help? When does someone say or a family member say, "Uh uh-oh, we have a problem here. What would be um, a trigger? Well, the classics, of course, which let's review those first, would be if the person goes days without sleeping a normal amount or sleeping too much, not eating or eating very little. And then, of course, if the person's talking about not wanting to live or harming self, that sort of thing, we want intervention immediately. But there are other signs, too. If a person spends weeks being irritable, lethargic, maybe not being able to carry out one's work duties, then it would be important to, if the person has a clergy person to contact, they can be good in terms of helping the person have some initial support and then refer on if to need more care, that sort of thing. We often underestimate, at least officially, the role of some sort of spiritual assistance as one goes through this. It's not for everybody, and people have obviously their own styles and flavors of their own spirituality and religious connections. But you're right. People very often need to have something that grounds them. And if I can be so simplistic, something that grounds them other than a pill or or drinking. Absolutely. And it can be as straightforward as a friend or family member just actively listening to the person talk about what the feelings are and the perceptions. It can be other methods as well. What would be a good approach to an adult who sees that there is a child in the family who is going through the first holiday without somebody, and it could be from death, it could be from divorce? How would you recognize this in a child? How would you intervene? Children tend to, and I know we've talked about this in in another setting, children display or present depression or down mood in ways different from how we adults usually do. They tend to get what we describe as agitated. They may be angry. They may be, if they're young, hitting other kids. They may be racing around. And oftentimes parents or other caregivers are getting frustrated and upset with the child rather than thinking, oh, wait a minute. Let's find out what's going on here, because children as young as three can experience depression for sure. And transitions of any kind, if it's a new divorce, hopefully the parents are thoughtful about their children and talk with them, listen well to what their needs are, and try to make any transitions, whether it's to a new home or a split time with each parent, to really spend time helping a child make that kind of transition. Very important, critically important to the child and how they learn how to deal with stresses and losses in their life. Absolutely. We have to give them a model. We do. And in this fast-paced world, and certainly with people working hard and or looking for jobs, it's hard to be able to just settle down enough to be thoughtful within a family, no matter how much family members truly do love each other. So when the blues, and we'll use that word, when they present themselves with all the different manifestations that you've described, it could be a very instructive insight into the rest of a person's inner emotional world. And that's what we have to look at. 
When is it necessary to go to someone like you, to a, a formally trained, experienced psychotherapist? But if a person's feeling miserable or they notice that they're behaving or feeling differently than they usually do, absolutely call someone at least have an initial consultation to sort out and possibly plan treatment. 90% of what goes on for us is about our perceptions, and we can change perceptions of ourselves and the world. Oftentimes, a good coach is important. And a good, honest coach. I've, I've seen patients, and the kid is acting in a way that looks like they're going through the depression or the blues, but in fact, they're actually reacting to the parent. Mm-hmm. who is not handling the loss or the whatever. And so the kid not only lost the other person, death, divorce, or whatever, but they have the parent that they're living with causing all sorts of problems. So everything's chaotic for this little kid. Yes. In this culture, I know I keep adding that variable, but this culture is the only one I can really speak to in terms of how lives have changed. It used to be that extended family would be around and could help out. For instance, there was a death of a parent and there's a young child. A grandparent would be there to support and listen to the child. We don't have that so much. Parents are even more frantic. True, true, true. If it really gets out of control, you've gotten a couple references that people can get online or call if they can't get a hold of someone locally. It is best if you can find local help through either the mental health center, a hospital, a clergy person. But the Suicide Awareness Voices of Education with the acronym S-A-V-E, and that's on the web at www.save.org. There's also the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. Very important numbers. Say it again, if you would. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 800-273-8255. And the Suicide Awareness Voices of Education is on the web at www. S-A-V-E dot org. Do you think that doctors ask their patients when, well, at any time, either at the beginning or in the process of treatment, do they ask things like, do you have a harder time at Christmas time? Are you okay during the grieving? Are you okay with the divorce? Do doctors ask enough about that? It's certainly an important area. However they ask, and it can be couched in terms of what the individual is bringing to the session, but it needs to be absolutely reviewed. It seems so obvious in many ways that these are transitions. I am a little bit hesitant to be too simplistic, but it really does require that the first two things that are looked at is what are the expectations and what are the losses? We can't instantly go to medication and this massive intervention. It may be appropriate at times. I'm not saying it should not be on the list, but just the basic thing, what are you expecting and what have you lost? If you can answer those and you get answers that make sense, uh, like you were saying, it's an enormously helpful position to have as you deal with the holiday blues. Absolutely. And another thing that occurs to me is the the most recent research in psychology is the importance of gratitude, of being able to reflect on what one is grateful for. This adds to our health and our ability to have the energy to go forward and to look at life in new ways. 
an interesting, often unspoken of or adequately addressed issue of these transitional holiday blues. It does cause a lot of a lot of pain and suffering in people's lives. Joan McGill is a psychologist in Southeast Florida, and she has been kind enough to join us again to talk some more about holiday blues, some of the issues, some of the concepts, and some of the interventions. Thank you so much for being with us. I enjoyed being with you today.